Hey guys, what's up? And I do apologize for any interruptions that may occur. It's that time of night where my mom will probably call up. She's at my sister's visiting. She went to Kohl's with her because they had like a discount day for the employees and family again. So, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, but anyway, I wanted to come on here and give you my SummerSlam review. I just watched it and uh, you could definitely tell that there's a change in the air. May not have been entirely what fans were expecting, but there were some matches, little sprinkles here and there. That change was definitely uh, there. It was definitely uh, on the horizon. This was actually the first. This is being noted by a lot of people. By the you know, um, what I'm trying to say is, this was actually noted uh, by a lot of people as being the first official WWE show under the Triple H era. Like, you know, he did take over on Monday with Raw being head of creative and all that. Same with SmackDown and a little bit with NXT. But this basically was like the first full-fledged show where he had like total say uh, in what happens. However, that may have not been the case because there was some matches and some moments in there sprinkled, you know, uh, within um, that kind of still showed the old regime. It showed signs of the old regime still being there, which kind of tells me, as a lot of people pointed out with SmackDown, Raw, and even a bit of NXT, that Summer, you know, you know, well, basically what people pointed out with those is they were already written and in the can. So you can probably, you know, say the same for SummerSlam, like certain matches, certain outcomes, and stuff like that were already written and in the can. You know, there were a few changes, like I said, here and there. Uh, but there was definitely a few, uh, like I said, moments. And there was a few uh, matches and stuff that, you know, still had uh, a feel of the old Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, Kevin Dunn regime. And, you know, that's perfectly fine, in my opinion, because you could tell Triple H did have total control because a lot of the matches, uh, except for certain ones, uh, because of storyline reasons, um, had time. They had time. As a matter of fact, I got it right, right here on Wikipedia. And they state that the first match had 15 minutes, basically 15 minutes, 10 seconds. The second match had 14 minutes, 15 seconds. The third match, 4 minutes, 45 seconds. The uh, fourth match was 11 minutes, 05 seconds. Uh, the fifth match was 10 minutes, 4 seconds. Uh, the sixth match was 13 minutes, 25 seconds. The seventh match was 4 minutes, 35 seconds, and then the main event was 23 minutes exactly. So it had time and everything, and there were, you know, like I said, there was some storytelling being told uh, with some of these matches. You know, like the uh, the fourth match had storytelling with it. Uh, the, the sixth match, both tag matches, by the way, had storytelling elements thrown throughout the match and even afterwards to tease the future. The seventh match, uh, had some storytelling, especially at the end, and even, you know, throughout. And then the eighth match, give him credit, had a lot of storytelling there, mostly like, you know, how is this going to end, what's what's it going to take. Um, be, the uh, the first match had some storytelling and some interesting developments um, as well. So, with that said, with that said, and by the way, <laughs> I'm finishing up on my second course light. I went through one already while eating some popcorn. And now I'm going through my second one um, as well. But let's go. Let's go with the first match. Bianca Belair defending against Becky Lynch. This was a good opener. These women, as usual, they brought it. Uh, they took it, you know, to another level at times. 
Uh, they had some of the same spots they had at WrestleMania, but there was some change as well. Uh, you could definitely tell there was more, a little bit more leeway, if you if you will, a little bit more freedom to a lot of these matches, and this first match was a good example of that. Uh, the ending came when uh, Becky tried to hit a manhandle slam off the top rope on uh, Bianca, but Bianca was able to counter that, turn that into an avalanche Spanish fly, and right into the KOD to, to get the win. But then what happened afterwards is something that a lot of fans have been waiting for and felt that you know this should have been something that happened long ago. We had a Becky Lynch face turn. That's right, Becky Lynch. Uh, goes up to her, extends her hand. Bianca's a little unsure at first, but she shakes it. They hug, and there you go. And if that's not enough to cement it, all of a sudden we hear Bailey's music hit, and ba- and Bianca's got this look on her face like, "Holy, you know what? She can't believe it." So here comes Bailey. She's coming down, and everything still, you know, the Bailey as you still the Bailey as what she left. You know, basically the. The pristine one, or whatever she calls herself. But that's not all. Oh, no, no, no. Because right after her, Bianca had another shocked face in her look. And we all had it, watching from home. And I'm sure those that were there in Nissan Stadium in Nashville had it. You see, that's not all, because Bailey wasn't the only one that came out. Who followed her out? Who accompanied her? Dakota Kai. That's right. Dakota Kai is back in WWE. Triple H resigned her, which is great. Even Corey Graves was like, I'm not even sure she's under contract anymore. What the heck? He couldn't believe it. But then she wasn't alone. Then afterwards, Io Shirai, who's now known as Io Sky on the main roster, makes her debut. And it looks like Bailey, Dakota, and Io are now some kind of faction together or stable on Monday Night Raw. And you know what? I love it because it looks like the first feud or Bianca's next title defense is going to be against Bailey, but Bianca's not going to be alone because guess who stood by her side? As soon as EO and Dakota and Bailey got in there to confront her, guess who stood side by side with Bianca? Becky Lynch. Hello! The women's division just got a lot better. Just got a lot better. And you know what? This also signals the fact, and I know JD from NY206 doesn't want to hear this. This potentially signals the fact that the women's tag team titles will be brought back. It's just that Triple H, what he's doing now is he's rebuilding that women's division so that we have not just enough women to contend for both the Raw and SmackDown championships, but also to contend and compete for the women's tag team titles. Hello! Perfect, perfect. So yeah, it looks like Bianca's next title offense will be Bailey, and it looks like um, you know it's going to be a it's going to be a storyline of Bailey feuding with Bianca, but it's also going to be Becky feuding alongside her against Bailey, Dakota, and Io Shirai or Io Sky, if you will. But then the next match was pretty good too. Logan Paul and The Miz. Uh, there were some. You know, issues during the match, some botches, there's no doubt. But Logan Paul, once again, whether you love Logan Paul or you hate Logan Paul, came out and proved us all wrong. Um, it was a great match. Ciampa tried to get involved. He did not. So, you know, he ended up getting ejected. But him being defiant, it's like, nope, I'm not leaving. I'm going to... Because here's what he does. He gets ejected. 
But then he grabs a steel chair, plants it right down, and then sits down, saying, I ain't going nowhere. Telling the referee, you ain't ejecting me, I ain't going nowhere. But then AJ Styles' music hits, and out comes AJ, not from the entranceway, but from the crowd, beats up on Ciampa. So it looks like the Logan Paul Miz thing is going to continue, but now we're also building more towards AJ having a program with Ciampa, which if you're a true purist of a wrestling fan, these are two you want to see get it on the ring, Ciampa and AJ. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, the match was, it was decent. Again, people like just Alex and JD don't like to acknowledge the fact that Logan Paul is pretty good. And uh, in the end, Logan Paul capitalized um, on a potential distraction by Maurice. And Miz takes this uh, Polaroid he took of him hitting the skull crushing finale on Logan. Tries to hit Lo- tries to hit Logan in the back. Logan gets out of the way. He almost nails Maurice. But this is enough for Logan Paul to capitalize and beat Miz with Miz's own finisher, the Skull Christian finale. So yeah, Logan Paul wins. And it looks like this storyline may continue. But now you add in the whole Styles and Ciampa deal. Which, under Triple H's watch, I think is going to be a pretty damn good uh, rivalry. Then we get to the Mysterios, taking on Judgment Day, that being Finn Balor and Damian Priest with Rhea Ripley. This was a decent tag match. It looked a little rough at times, a little botchy at times, a little slowed down. But uh, it picked up pretty good towards the end. Um, basically, they it wasn't much... You know, The one thing that a lot of people questioned about this online was, why are there tags in a no-DQ match? Which I even I kind of questioned myself, like, why are there tags in a no-DQ match? It, it doesn't make sense. Anyway, anyway, one of the things people were expecting during this match was Dom, for Dominic uh, to turn on Ray, which did not happen. Uh, instead, uh, instead, what happened is Rhea did get involved. She did lift up Dominic and all shoulders, which is impressive. I'll give him that. And I'm hoping they finally kind of, you know, what the the changes in this regime. And I'm not trying to be mean about this. I'm hoping they allow the women to finally get physical with the men again in matches. They they reintroduce intergender matches, not just for tags, but for singles. I would love for that to come back because if what we saw with Rhea as of late is any sign, then, you know, hopefully that's something they do bring to the table. Um, anyway, though, she interjects, and it looks like Judgment Day is going to win, right? But then all of a sudden you hear this music very similar to uh, the Brood music, and it's kind of new. It's kind of a remix, in my opinion. But out comes Edge. Now, we had seen these messages of somebody saying that they're coming. And we see all these, in these vignettes in the weeks come, leading up to this, we saw, you know, all these, you know, artifacts in these vignettes of from John Cena, the Hardys, the Mysterios, Eddie, and all that. And everybody pretty much knew it was Edge. I mean, some, some thought it was going to be, um, you know, some thought it was going to be probably... Uh, Bray Wyatt, which is still a possibility now, but instead it was Edge. And Edge came out and he speared Damien or took out Damien on the rampway, speared Balor, speared Damien again in the ring, opened the door for the Mysterios, mostly Ray, to hit the 619 and get the win. So yeah, Edge comes back, takes out Judgment Day, and and the uh, reaction by Damien and Rhea afterwards and a little bit of Finn, but mostly Damian and Rhea. From a storyline perspective, now that it's under the Triple H regime, it's kind of like a look of worry, like, oh shit, we screwed up, maybe we shouldn't have kicked him out, kind of deal. Like, 
You know, they, they basically realize he brought them in and now he's going to destroy them. That storyline wise, that works because now they realize, okay, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe we should have followed him until we could figure out what he had planned. Now, what I'm expecting on Monday is for Damien to reveal to the world that the reason Edge put, brought him and Rhea into the group and wanted to bring Finn into the group was so they had somebody to watch his back when he would become champion again. But they didn't want that. They wanted, you know, their own goals to be realized first. So I'm expecting something like that to be acknowledged and maybe even Edge to admit it. But yeah, the, the other thing too that came out of this, no Dominic heel turn. No Dominic heel turn, which I'm believing. I'm believing probably will happen, but not right away. Because um, here's the thing. I think Ray, and, and even Dominic to an extent, but I think mostly Ray, is kind of hesitant on it. Like he knows it would be for the benefit, uh, for the benefit and the benefit of, of uh, his son uh, to go that direction. And you've seen little teases throughout the year. But I think he and his family is very, very hesitant. Like, here's, here's what I'm looking at. I'm sure Ray's cool with Dominic going heel, but it's his mom that doesn't want to see it happen. Like, maybe they're going over it, like doing family, you know, get-togethers and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, maybe Ray's mom saying, no, Dominic it's not going to turn heel. I want him to remain a good guy. I like him this way. It's better this way. You know, so... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there's hesitation in the Mysterio family, in my opinion. So hopefully that hesitation will simmer down and maybe uh, Ray's wife, Dominic's mom, will have, you know, fully understand that this needs to happen for the benefit of Dominic's career um, in the future. But yeah, no Dominic Hilton. Don't know if it happened Monday or if it happened at, you know, the clash at the castle. We shall see, but none tonight. Then we have Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin... Uh, in a match um, that's been building for a while. And once again, Pat McAfee proved to be uh, pretty good, just like Logan Paul proved a lot of doubters wrong. Uh, the match was, I'll put it this way, despite how you feel about Corbin, the match was one of his best. Um, in the end, uh, basically, um, in the end, uh, Corbin, I, I think he he tried to go for something. You know, he tried to, to go for something. I can't remember it was in the corner. I think he tried to go for something and Pat capitalized and hit him with basically the um, the the just rocks, which is Rock C's, uh, Roxanne Perez's finisher. Uh, he hit Corbin with that to, to get the win. But once again, just like at WrestleMania, Pat proved a, a lot of people wrong and he ended up retain, uh, winning uh, the matchup. So that was pretty cool. Where do they go from here? I don't know. If they continue this, fine. But, you know, what's the next step if they continue this? Who knows? Um, it definitely looks like they're teasing something with Corbin and Cole. Like maybe Corbin's going to try to attack Cole and that will get under McAfee's skin to do another match. Maybe Steel Cage or anything goes. We'll see. We'll see. But it looks like they teased that a little bit tonight uh, for the future. But... Well, we'll we'll see what they got up to, what they have in plan, uh, have in store, I should say. Oh yeah, one of the other matches that happened before the Mysterio match I forgot to mention was Lashley and Theory. This was pretty much a squash. Um, Theory did try to attack Lashley um, before the ma before the bell rang. He hit 
Lashley, Lashley standing in the corner. He hits him with his briefcase, tries to get the edge on it, but um, Bobby uh, comes back, tells the referee he's okay, ring the, ring the bell, and he comes back and basically dominates the match. He dominates uh, the match. Uh, Theory tries to take a walk. That doesn't happen. Bobby p- prevents it, gets you know him back in the ring, even after Theory thought he had an advantage. Theory tries to go uh, for his... Um, for his um, roll into the ring uh, DDT or whatever it is, his face plant deal. But Bobby basically caught him, lifting him up into a gorilla plan, uh, press, I should say not plan, but gorilla press, military press, and then transcends that right into the hurt lock, which, you know, immediately Theory tapped out. So even though Theory got a bit of offense, this was mostly a squash, and to set up the idea that, okay, he lost here, but he may walk out a winner at the end of the night. So yeah. Lashley won that match, and again, like I said, the Mysterious won theirs, Pat won his, and then we get the Usos and the Street Profits, the Street Profits come out with the Tennessee Titan cheerleaders, which got a pop from the crowd, uh, Jeff Jarrett, of course, is the referee, he didn't get much of a reaction, he got some, but not much, and he's going to have a busy weekend, because now, now he's got to go from Nissan Stadium in Nashville, you know, from his hotel, and I don't know how far it is from, from there, let me... Let me uh, check. Let me look at the um, uh, not not the images. Um, let me look at the the map here for for a second. Bring this up. But uh, yeah, he's got to go from Nissan Stadium to uh, basically. You know, he's got to go from uh, Nissan Stadium to Nashville. He's got to go to Nissan Stadium. To well, not Nashville, but to the municipal auditorium. He's got to go to the municipal um, auditorium. And let's see if I can uh, bring that up here. Here we are. He's got to travel. Oh, it's only a six-minute drive. <laughs> okay. So he's all, he well, he I, I guess he could just stay within the same hotel or something. But yeah, it's a six-minute drive from uh, Titans Way to essentially um, the Municipal Auditorium um, in Nashville. It's basically a six-minute drive uh, from Titans Way to Fourth uh, Avenue uh, North in Nashville. It's basically about a six-minute drive. So yeah, he could. He can stay in the same hotel. I think he's the... Where are they staying at? Uh, I would assume they're staying at the Doubletree. So, um, yeah, he just go back to Doubletree. There you go. <laughs> you know? But, yeah, he's got a busy weekend. Uh, he did a decent job here as the referee. They did tease maybe something... Uh, a repeat of hap- what happened last night on SmackDown where he nearly got kicked by one of the Usos. Uh, he caught it, but, you know, just turned it around and then just ignored it. Went back to the match. The match was good. There's no doubt these guys always bring it. Um, it wasn't as good as the Money in the Bank match, that is true, but it was a decent match. And you can kind of tell from a storyline perspective that Montez Ford was taking this a lot more serious than Angelo Dawkins. And the ending basically happened when Montez, he hit his uh, frog splash, his sky-high frog splash, but he hit hurt his wit, ribs, and that was enough. The hurting of his ribs was enough to where when he went for the pin... It slightly cost him the championship. Like if he would have, you know, just hit the pinfall um, after the oh not hit not the pinfall, but if he would have just hit the splash and then 
uh, covered, um, I think it was Jay, to, to win, it, they would have been the champions. But that didn't happen. Instead, it was barely three. He got angry. He let his frustrations get the best of him. He tagged out to Angelo. And uh, that pretty much was the undoing. And the Usos ended up winning by hitting the 1D on Angelo to become the champions. They took out Montez over the barricade, I think. And they ended up hitting Dawkins with the 1D to win. And then they kind of did this close shot afterwards of the Prophets in the ring. And Montez just has this look on his face like he is just pissed. He is frustrated and everything. And Angelo's like, ugh, blew it again kind of deal, right? So they are setting up the breakup of the Prophets. You know, potentially on Raw. And it looks like Ford is going to be the one that goes heel instead of Dawkins. You can already see that. Which, you know, could end up being a misfire. Because why would you want to turn Ford heel when his wife is a face? Unless you're going to do Bianca as a heel. In the future. I don't know. But yeah, it looks like uh, Ford's going to be the one that goes heel. Speaking of heel turns... Liv Morgan taking on Ronda Rousey. Uh, this match was short and sweet because it had a story to tell. Basically, the story was, could Liv win again? You know, this time around with Ronda 100% and ready. And it definitely looked like they were going to give the belt back to Ronda. Definitely looked like they were going to do it. But you could tell that this was an example of Triple H being in charge. You know, his, you know, his vision coming through. Because instead, Ronda, she kept attacking the arm and everything, setting up Liv for the arm breaker, right? And as soon as she got her in the arm breaker, Liv is, you know, she's very wiggly. I'll put it that way. Very, you know, wiggly, like, wee, you know, mandible, mandible, if you know all that. So Liv ends up being put into the lock, but she gets up just enough to where Rhonda's on her back. Rhonda is sitting on her back, or laying on her back, where she's got the arm lock in. Her shoulders are down, and the referee sees this, and he sees Liv's on top, holding her down. And he goes, one, two, three counts, but here's what's interesting. As soon as he hit two out of that three count, because all we see is one, two, three, right? But here's what happens. He hits, As soon as he hits two, this is what Liv's doing, because she has her arm trapped. This is what Liv's doing on Ronda's leg. She's tapping. So they did a dusty finish, but this was also done to give us a Ronda Rousey heel turn, because Ronda then attacked... Uh, Live at the end of the match out of frustration to attack the referee. It looked like she was going to attack Sean Devari and all that, but that did not happen. Um, instead, you know, she's just now a heel. And you kind of saw the signs of this coming and everything. And what I'm hoping they do with Ronda as a heel now is they go back to what made Ronda great as a heel. She just cuts the crap. You know, she goes... She basically goes unscripted. She tears the wall down. She cave, you know, she breaks kayfabe. Do what they did before when she was a heel. Have her basically, you know, mock the fact that this is not real. If it was real, someone like Liv Morgan wouldn't be champion. Da, da, da. Have her really heal it up more so than ever to really get the fans to hate her. And I think that, you know, I think if they go back to that, it's going to work. In my opinion, it's going to work. Then, next up, the main event. Roman Reigns Paul, uh, with uh, the Bloodline taking on Brock Lesnar. Last man standing. 23 minutes this match went, and it was crazy. I mean, Brock comes out, then, but instead of going to the ring, he goes to the side, 
puts on his flannel <laughs> flannel vest, puts on his cowboy hat, and he drives a freaking tractor with his logo on the on the side of it to the ring. Which, you know, frustrates Roman. And then after the introductions are made, Brock jumps off the uh, the dumping thing for the tractor onto Roman and it just goes from there. These guys I mean Roman got his ass kicked in this match throughout the throughout the majority of it. I mean he did get some uh, momentum in there, mo- movements in there and everything, but they just went all over ringside. They went outside, you know, into the crowd, onto this little um, uh, staging area that is holding up like the, the trestle or whatever, the, the covering. They went there. Uh, basically, they went through tables. Brock got his back cut up, up in several areas. These guys just beat the hell out of each other. And this was probably the best match they've had in a long time against each other. Especially if it's being billed as the last match between the two. Uh, And there was just so many moments in this. So many moments. You you had Brock. Because both men were getting frustrated. Both men had each other down. This was great storytelling. Both men had each other down. But neither one would stay down. You know, despite the best efforts, despite Roman hitting Superman punches and spears and Brock hitting German suplexes and F5s, you know, both hitting on, or both, you know, capturing the other and the guillotine and things like that, nobody would stay down. You even had Brock basically take an unconscious Roman over to his tractor, put him in that dump thing for the tractor, lift it up and dump him into the ring. And that still wasn't enough. So what does Brock do? He goes back outside, goes into the tractor, lowers the dump thing, and then pushes it against the damn ring, and then activates the lift on it, and lifts the damn ring with Roman in it, and causes Roman to fall out to the floor. And that's not enough. That's not enough. You know, and you were thinking, what is it going to take, right? What is it going to take? Brock put Paul Heyman through a table because Paul Heyman was getting frustrated. He's like, "Leave this man alone! Shut! Leave this man alone! Do whatever you have to do." Do or basically, he's like, "Because he, Roman is in a state to where Brock could just finish him off, and that's it, right?" Paul Heyman interjects, gives Brock the titles, and say, "Here, is that what this is about? This is about leave this man alone. He's got a family and everything." So what happens to Paul Heyman? He gets after five through a table or through the announce table. The Usos get German sex, suplexed all over the place. Uh, Roman then gets an advantage on Brock, takes him down. Brock gets an advantage on Roman, takes him down. And then it was doing all this melee outside. And this was towards the end of the match. Here comes Theory. Theory's coming down. Going to interject himself into the match. He hits Roman with the briefcase in the head. Head. Um, hits, um, you know, well not hits Lesnar, but he hits Brock, Roman in the head with the briefcase. Getting ready to cash in. Doesn't see Lesnar. Lesnar comes up from behind, picks him up, F5s him into oblivion. And then, though, this is enough for the Usos to kind of take advantage, take him down, Roman to take him down. But that's still not enough to, you know, keep Brock down. They're hitting him with everything except the kitchen sink, you know what I'm saying? And even Michael Cole's telling Brock, stay down! It's not worth that kind of deal, right? So, (laughs) Roman then says, screw this. He's hit him with everything. He's hit him with his titles. He goes over, grabs the briefcase, and then, before going to Brock, he ends up walloping Theory, like, boom, boom, boom. You know, to keep him out of the equation. He hits Brock with it, and that's still not enough. So, they hit him with 
I think something else. They hit him with one more item, and then they take all the items scattered at ringside: the broken tables, the chairs, everything, steel steps. They bury it on top of Lesnar, and that's how Roman's able to get, you know, the ten count. Well, Roman is staying, standing on these stuff, lifting his hands like this, and that's how he retains his title. And in a sense, it does keep Brock strong because it basically, instead of keeping him down regularly with a ten count. Instead, they have to bury him just to keep him down. So the match was good. The match was really good, especially if it's going to be the last one for who knows how long, because we know they'll probably go back to revisit it. Whether Triple H you know, is in charge or not, which he is, you know probably he's going to get told via telephone or communication by Vince, because we all know it's happening. He's going to be telephoned by Vince saying, Oh, that was some good shit, Paul. Great first night. Oh, by the way, I want you to do it again at Survivor Series. We know it's going to happen. Hopefully, Hunter says, oh, I'll take it under advisement, but doesn't do it. But yeah, uh, but yeah, great, great ending, great main event, and what a way for them to potentially, for the time being, end the rivalry. And uh, that was SummerSlam. That was SummerSlam um, in a nutshell. Um, again, I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. Um, especially for the first under the Triple H regime, the first one where he had full control. But you can also tell, um, as I mentioned before, that there were still some sprinkles of Vince's regime still in there with certain matches and moments and stuff. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, they, you know, it was kind of like a mixture. It was kind of like, I'll put it this way. It was 75% Hunter, 25% Vince. In a way, you can still tell there was some Vince strokes still, but not much. Uh, and again, this I thought was a decent start or a decent uh, show to to give the WWE a soft reset. That's right, a soft reset. Um, you know, for what what's to come. This was basically the equivalent of a not a full reboot, but a soft reboot. Kind of like. Let me see if I can get it out here real quickly. And, um, let's see if it's here. I know it's here somewhere. Ah, there it is. No, that's not it. Try to get it out here without spilling anything. It's kind of like this. This here, in the Archie Sonic books, is the soft reboot to, um, to the comic. It's basically the soft reboot uh, to the comic and everything because of what happened behind the scenes. So, uh, even though Ian Flynn, who was the, um, the writer for the book at the time and still is somewhat the writer for the IDW book, um, even though he tried to keep a little sense of continuity, later on in the next year or so, it became uh, more apparent that things were different. Things were um, new and everything. I just uh, try to put this away here. But it was definitely uh, proof. Not proof, but it was definitely in time um, obvious that change was happening. Because when he did that storyline right there, the Countdown to Chaos... Uh, when he did that storyline, that was not only to softly reboot and softly reset the world, but to also acknowledge, you know, the previous continuity 
by having in the story Nicole, the Lynx, the AI, the portable computer of Princess Sally, to be like the Duex Machina, the key to connecting the memories of the old world to the already established characters. Thus, like I said, you know, kind of acknowledging the past while also prepping for the future. And over time, the change we saw became the norm, and a lot of us, like myself, was okay with it. Because, you know, it still had that feel of what we were used to, but now it was on a different level, and the change actually was for somewhat the better. Even though there were some characters and some things we had gotten so used to and that we miss and, or will miss, but are still continued in fanfic webcomics like Archie Sonic Online and Retold and all that, uh, it was and basically, in a sense, a lot you know easier to digest, even when they did crossovers like with Mega Man and stuff. And that's kind of what tonight felt like. It felt like a soft restart, a soft retcon for the company to where you still acknowledge what happened previously, but you also sprinkled in, sprinkled in a lot of what's to come, more so than you ever had, had especially with a new person behind the realm, uh, behind the uh, the curtain, if you know what I mean. But overall, I thought SummerSlam was good. Can't wait. Uh, for Clash of the Castle. That'll be the second pay-per-view under his regime. And then Raw and SmackDown and NXT definitely going to be something to watch because now those are going to be the first full Monday Night Raws, full Tuesday Night NXTs, and full uh, Friday Night SmackDowns under Triple H's regime. So, we'll have to see what happens, but I thought it was good. And if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend if you got Peacock, uh, check it out. And... That's really about it. So till next time, guys, let me know what your thoughts are on SummerSlam. How did you feel about it? Did you notice any subtle changes here except for some of the obvious? Comment below. Live chat during the premiere. Like the video. Super chats and super stickers are open. It would be appreciated during the live stream. Or during the premiere. Not the live stream, but during the premiere. Super thanks afterwards as well. Check me out at Venmo at Brian-Warmer-2 and at Cash App at BWRoses98. Check out my Teespring store. Also check me out at BWRoses Discussion for all you... On all your favorite audio podcast locations, except for Pandora. Also, check me out at DeviantArt.com, says BVW1979, and at Patreon.com, says BWRosis. And at Fanfiction.net, slash dash, Brian.Walmart.1, numeral 1. And until next time, guys, I will talk to you all later, but that, this is it. This is my review for SummerSlam 2022, and I thought it was a decent reset to the WWE, with a few of the old sprinkled in. Peace out.